Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh?
in the moment when we're talking to each other, when we're uh, working on a project, when we're uh, making claims to be doing something or not doing something. I wonder how many of us are busy thinking about other things. Uh, it shows. It shows. When you're together, when you're doing what it is you said you're doing and that's the only thing you're doing, uh, it shows. It shows with results. It shows with um, emotion. It shows with... Um, it shows with an element that is the thing that makes something interesting or not. And and there's probably no worse feeling to somebody who is present to be in a conversation with somebody and realize somewhere in the middle of that conversation that that other person's not present. And they say, uh-huh, 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 or they say, yeah, and you can just see that sort of glaze in their lip, in their eye. You can see that they're not paying attention to you. They're not there with you. They're 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 faking it. And it happens all the time. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. But I just wonder if we can't um, look at that and say, gee, maybe that's why we haven't accomplished what we set out to. Or maybe even more, maybe that's why other people do accomplish things in spite of us, in spite of what we say we want. We say, what do we want? And then we yell out justice, but we don't necessarily think about it when we yell it out. We just yell it out because that's what we do. I wonder if we were to stop and think about what we really want. What does that look like? What do we want? Tax and regulation? What do we want? Higher prices for our, a plant that anybody can grow? What do we want? Restrictive regulations that say, you can't have it because you don't have enough money to go through certain protocols? I don't know. It's what we've said we wanted because that's what we have that's what we have done. That's what we've accomplished. Every single place that we pass these laws, that's what we've gotten. We've gotten laws that treat this plant like it's a alien virus, like it's so toxic that you must have all these things in place or somebody's going to die. That's what we've gotten. Apparently, that's what we want. I'm here to talk about another alternative. I'm here to talk about maybe what, well, at least what I want, what people say that they want. I want a world that liberty is part of the protocol, that's part of the paradigm. Liberty, think about what does liberty mean? It means freedom. It means the ability to do things at will without being told what to do, without being without being um, prosecuted for certain actions, without being taxed and fined and, and, and prohibited from things. And I, and I want to point things out, and I'm and I, not being negative about any of the steps we've made. We've made a lot of good steps, and I'm pleased about some steps that we've made. But please be very clear when you make a statement that they're not going to do this, they're not going to do that, this is legal, that's not legal, Look into what they really say. Generally speaking, when we pass laws that say we're not going to prosecute cannabis crimes, what they mean is possession. What they mean is cultivation. They don't say they're not going to they're not going to uh, prosecute possession with the intent to sell. They don't 
say anything about, uh, you know, some of these felony cases because that's, unfortunately, the unspoken uh, Trojan horse in this. There's always a place where it ends. And I don't know what the specifics are of some of these new laws that have passed. But I'm willing to bet, because I've always bet and I've always won this bet, that there's a place that says, well, we will prosecute if you do that. Because when they say we're not going to prosecute these crimes anymore, I just wonder, does it mean that what if I had 10,000 plants? Would you prosecute me then? What if I had 10 pounds of oil? Would you prosecute me then? What if I was selling that material? Would you prosecute me then? I'll bet you there's a place where they would. And I just think that maybe we should look into that. And I'm not saying that it's not good. Most people will benefit from a law that that will not prosecute most people for most things. But it's almost always possession, and we fall for it because we don't read the fine print. We don't read all the words on the page. Do you know how many people and that I work with, people that care about me, people that love me, people that I, I work with in business and in, in, in activism, and I give them a simple direction, and I send it to them on a piece of paper, and they read four words out of three paragraphs, and they ask me a question based on the fact that they read four words out of three paragraphs, and the answer generally is in those other three paragraphs. And I have to think that possibly, possibly, if we were to decide today that maybe it's important enough to really get down and let's just put this effort in. Let's make a plan. Let's finish it. I think if we stop and think about what we really want and we decide that we really want this, and we decide that we're willing to work together, regardless of where we are, regardless of the imposition it might be, regardless of the hassle, the other things we got to do, the hardships it is, all the reasons why most people don't get together and work. And if we were to put our egos aside and our hurt feelings aside and all of those things and decide, you know, maybe this is important enough to get it done, perhaps we would. Perhaps we would. I've been studying a lot of history lately. I, I, you know, there's an old saying, history repeats itself, and we're doomed to repeat history unless we learn its lessons. So I said, well, okay, that should be easy enough. History is recorded. Why don't we learn from it? So there's a lot of history. we got 100,000 years or so worth of history, and I'm picking certain spots certain people to study, and I'm learning from them. I'm studying some American history and some some histories of wars and history, all different kinds of histories, the things that have shaped society. And one of the things that I have learned is that uh, human race is a very bloodthirsty race. We've been bloodthirsty since we've been human beings. Um, brutal. We're a brutal race. There's probably a lot less brutality going on today than there ever has been at any point in history. doesn't seem like it because everything seems brutal to us. But the truth is, if you look back at how 
people have been treated and how people treated each other over the last thousands of years, there's a lot more peace today than there ever has been, and a lot less war and a lot less death and a lot less destruction. That being said, it's not enough. That being said, there isn't any amount of injustice that's okay with me. One of the things that I've paid attention to and looked at is that exceptional people in the world have done exceptional things. And exceptional things require an exceptional effort, generally speaking. Most people that have accomplished anything in the world have have been exceptional at the ability to get it done, to stay the course. Something that we might call grit, something that is just toughing it out, finishing it, getting it done, staying the course, showing up to work every day, caring enough about it to put that effort in. When was the last time you struggled to do something, to accomplish something? When was the last time you pushed and pushed and pushed until you finally powered it through? When was the last time you did that? Because we live a pretty lazy, laid-back, kick-back life. Generally speaking, most people I know, I don't see anybody putting a serious effort into very many things. Some people do it in the workout, in an effort to build a body. There comes a point when you start getting into that, that you live for that pushing through. But outside of that, who puts a real effort in? Soldiers, when they're out there training, they, they get pushed to their breaking point. Okay? That's a thing that happens. Firefighters, they get pushed to a breaking point. But outside of that, who pushes? Why don't we push? Why don't we work together and push through it, through the tough times? Why don't we push through until we accomplish the thing we set out to? Why is it that we always say, oh, there's these reasons why and all the complaints about who's in charge and the money and the blah, blah, blah. But we don't ever just get down and push through it. I'm looking for a few people that will. That's what I'm looking for. There's a plan to be had, and I'm willing to have it. I'm getting tired of watching us accept less than liberty. I'm tired of watching us sit back and resting on our laurels while this giant machine is just coming through and eating us one piece at a time. Remember that old Twilight Zone to serve man? And these big old tall aliens came down. They are called Canaanites or something like that. And they spoke this language, and they were benevolent, and they were the, the, the amazing race, and they spoke with their thoughts, and they had this book that they had set down in the UN, and they struggled to decode it. Meanwhile, this, this, this race of, of aliens comes down, and they're curing diseases, and they're giving unlimited energy, and everybody's in love with this alien race, and they start sending them to their planet to see see how they do it. And they're packing people up in these spaceships and they're going off and they're going off and they're going off. And all of a sudden, the teller of the story is uh, he was going to go on this trip and his partner, this girl, he's getting ready to walk onto onto the spacecraft like all the rest of them. And she comes running up, wait, don't go, don't go, it's a cookbook. And the door goes up and closes, and he's telling his story from 
the spaceship where they're trying to fatten him up so that they can take him home to eat him. A little bit far-fetched, but maybe not. Think about who's behind every one of these laws that have passed. Think about the money that's behind it. Think about who benefits from every single law that we've passed. Really get down and be honest with yourself. And I think you're going to find it's not the you and me. I think you're going to find it's not the average person. It's not the person that's living on fixed income. It's not the person who's disabled. It's not the person who needs to grow their own medicine. It's never those people. There's always some big business behind it. There's always big money behind it. And there's always things that keep us, the regular person, from getting what they need. It's just always that way so far. I'm saying we can do better than that. I'm saying that we can change it. Um, I posted a video earlier today about a guy that I met. He may be calling in the show today. Hopefully he does. Um, but I'm working on a project. I'm, I'm consulting on a, on a extraction facility in a, in a, quote, legal place down in Southern California somewhere. And um, I'm teaching them how to, how to run some of their equipment and this kid is a he's a good kid. He's young and he's 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 wanted nothing more than to be in the white market, so they call it. And after working with him a little bit and talking to him, he did some research and he he looked up my uh, you know some of the stuff I've got published. And he comes back one morning and he's like, "Oh my God, I I got to help you in prohibition." I said, "I want to be part of the A team." And I says, "Well, good. Let's make that happen." Um, that's what I need. I need a few people. They don't have to know anything. You don't have to be an activist. You don't have to have any experience. You don't have to have any money. You don't have to have any particular talents. But what you do have to have is a willingness to make a difference, to get what the real problem is, to actually get what the problem is. The problem isn't that some people can have some things. The problem is that we, the people, can't have what we want. Whatever it is, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody. How dare you tell me the plant I can or cannot grow? How dare you tell me how many jars of oil I can have or cannot have? And yet we like, oh, we're legal. <laughs> we did. And what happens to that person who needs one more than is allowed? You're a criminal. What happens to the person who decides they want to they, they learn how to make something, and they make it, and they sell it to their friend because it's a reasonable thing to do. You sell a jar of pickled garlic. You sell a, a bag of, you know, catnip that you grew for your cat. That's totally cool. Everybody's got no problem with that. But if you sell the cannabis plant to your friend in another state, you are a criminal seven different ways. And we're all okay with that. And I say we're all okay with that because we let it happen. And we continue to let it happen. And we're not outraged and we're not doing anything to stop it. We're not doing enough to stop it. And until that is the story, the paradigm, I'm going to keep asking these questions. And I have asked week after week, month after month, show after show, for somebody to come on the show and tell me why do we need to be taxed and regulated so bad. Explain it to me. 
We had one guy one time that was scheduled to come on, but he didn't make it somehow. That's it. Not one person has. The one thing this kid said on his own, and I was impressed with this, is he recognized the value of the industry getting involved. The industry stepping up and finishing the job. Those that are benefiting from it, those that are becoming wealthy from it, those that are feeding off of the others, great cookbook that we have, they could be opening the doors for the rest of us to have some bit of what they're having. And Sarah dares you too. (laughs) The purpose of this show is to build this team. Excellent. The coffee is coming, folks. The coffee is coming. We're having a cup of joe without a cup of joe. So we're doing all right so far. But but that being said, you know, we're starting to get some people standing up. We got got the Kansas team that's getting active, getting alive. We got Central California team getting alive. They're coming alive. Um, headquarters is rearing its head again. Um, we've got a lot of, we got uh, Ohio doing great. We've got New York. My God, they're on TV. They're on TV every single week. Every single week. And we're out there representing now. We're getting, we're getting our voices heard. And the politicians that are supposed to be representing us are starting to have to listen to us because we're now talking to them. We're going to their house, and we're knocking on their door, and we're saying, so what do you think about this? And so why don't you support this, or why do you support this? It's up to us. Status quo is status quo. We already know what that is. It's what we've already got. You stop and think about your representatives, and frankly, I don't think that a representative republic is a bad system of government. I don't think it's a bad system of government at all. I think it requires an active populace to make it be what it could and should be, and that's what we don't have. All right, we got Craig Cecil calling in, and then we got an amazing treat. Becca Nichols is going to tell us a story today, and uh, it's a good one. What's calling from? Craig Cecil serving life in prison for pot, and we let it happen, and we need to make it not happen anymore. Life in prison. Hello, Craig Cecil. How are you doing today? Hello, Joe. I'm looking out the window here in Terre Haute, Indiana, and it's it's stone dark, and it's uh, 20-something degrees outside, so I don't think it looks like your window. <laughs> no, no, it's... um. It's been very windy out here. There's been firestorm in California again. Northern California is on fire, and uh, Southern California, right along Malibu, where there's a lot of rich folks up there. Their houses are are burned up, and um, it's uh, it's another mess. We get these Santa Ana winds that blow in off the desert this time every year, and um, it's just it was a drought year again. 
so everything is uh, just tinder dry. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years, the power poles have been the, the culprit. They, uh, the winds blow across the high-tension lines, and they start sparking. And then the power line will drop, and, you know, these, these – uh, these wildfires get going. It's a town called Paradise, California, and within 24 hours, like 7,000 buildings burned down. It's just unbelievable. Well, I think a lot of your listeners know Amy, and I got a email from Amy earlier today that announced that hers was one of the only houses in her subdivision not to burn, but at least her house is not burned. Yeah, yeah, she's, uh, I, I forgot she's in that, in that district there, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of fancy houses right on the beach there that have, are now just a pile of r- rubble and dust, and then, uh, like I said, in, in Northern California, in, um, uh, in Paradise up above Sacramento there, uh, same thing happened, uh, it's, it's, you know, 100,000 acres, um, in a in a matter of a couple of days, it's really been insane. Right, I understand it wiped out the whole town, and there's at least 50 people known dead, and like up to 200 still missing. Wow, wow what a tragedy! Yeah, I have a friend of mine who uh, I just saw today, and uh, one of the things that's happening, unfortunately, is you know this is um, harvest time, and uh, People are trying to get their crops out, and, you know, a lot of people, obviously anybody that's in that neck of the woods, everything's gone. But um, there's actually people coming through the burnt areas and robbing people and looting them. Um, You know, people that have farms and they're just trying to get everything out. I I heard there was a couple of guys with uh, assault rifles going up and trying to rob their crops. And then, of course, you got... Wow. Uh, you know, the cops, knowing that all this, these things are happening, are are targeting, you know, people with trailers and whatnot. And this guy luckily got his crop out, and um, he's down here safe. So I'm I'm uh, very pleased. At least one person I know um, survived that and, and got his crop out, and he's all right. So, But just there's a lot of people who aren't, a lot of people who uh, – you know, imagine imagine your livelihood relying on a, a, an agricultural crop, right? And you're in some stage of harvesting it, some stage of, of you know, drying it, preparing it, and then the fire comes and you're forced to evacuate and there's people out there pillaging and rampaging and you got to be gone. Imagine what that might feel like. I mean, just a horror story. In my mind, I compare that to cattle rustling, which I think still can result in a person being hanged. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. They they don't take that very lightly out there, that's for sure. But it's the truth. I mean, it is what it is. People, uh, I was just talking about, um, you know, humanity and, and, and the ruthlessness that people historically have been. And it seems in a lot of ways that we're doing, you know, uh, it, People talk about how how horrible things are, but actually, historically, we're we're much more civilized than we ever have been in in any point of our history. But there's still 
plenty of bad folks out there doing a lot of bad things. Well, we, we had another adventure with that that uh, ended us being locked down over the weekend here again. Oh, no. <laughs> in the institution here, which opened in 1937, um, it used to house uh, all the death row inmates for the federal government. Now what they did is they built a new prison across the street, as you know, the USP, uh, and they moved the death row over here, over there, but the death row that's in my building, they used to house terrorists. It's a special unit where they're really not allowed to use the mail much or phone or all that. They, you know, they're super monitored in there. And uh, last weekend, one of them killed another one. Oh, no. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't know why. But even though we're, you know, granted we walk past the, the door of that cell block and everything, but we have no contact with them, you know, by design. They're not allowed to have contact with anybody. Right. But they still uh, locked the rest of us in our cells for a few days and gave us belonging. Oh, jeez. Uh, well. Unfortunately, this week the institution has just got all kinds of people just bouncing off the walls and everything. And uh, the channels that we get on email that are usually like uh, advising us on new cases in the courts and new laws and things of that nature, they've been all abuzz with uh, that their Congress is considering some changes to the criminal, the federal criminal. This call is from a federal prison. And some of the proposed changes are like changing some mandatory minimums, changing that prisoners have to earn uh, certain things like telephone time and uh, halfway house time and things like that. There's a handful of changes, even uh, seemingly sensible changes like uh, women shouldn't have to be handcuffed while giving birth. <laughs> yeah, you think but, that uh, might be just a little bit extreme. I can't, I can't imagine yeah. a, a woman giving birth being a threat to anybody. <laughs> No, I don't see him as an escape risk. No. <laughs> then again, I'm not the Bureau of Prisons, and I, I, there's a lot of places I don't see eye to eye with them. <laughs> right, right. I, I wonder, I wonder what the so numbers are. Rumors, so many rumors running around. I, I just heard a rumor a little while ago that somebody put out that the president signed something and 18,000 inmates are going home in January. And I mean, these rumors are abounding, and... It's really kind of pitiful, you know, the way the way it's going around. I'm sure that's not true, or you know, we would have actually known that. I haven't heard the law before the president yeah. signed it, but uh, I haven't heard a uh, thing about that. But it, you know what I mean? The, the inmates are all abuzz, and everything, everywhere you go, and that's all you hear is, "What about the bill? What about the bill in Congress? What about the bill?" And that, that's just all the buzz right now, and. Unfortunately, I think it's it's going to make for a lot of long faces at Christmas. Maybe they'll pass a little something somewhere, but I think we're running out of time. Yeah, generally this time of year, um, if you look historically, um, not a whole lot happens between now and the end of the session. Yes, but, but like I say, the, the prison is all abuzz with that. I mean, the... There's people that unfortunately are believing what other people told them that they're, you know, going home soon and and all that. So it's it's kind of kind of a mess. And 
me being one of the legal beagles here, I'm one of the ones that they consult a lot. And I try to keep all the writing stuff in my hand so I can just say read here. <laughs> well, they've got. I just looked it up right now, and there's um there's a. There's a bill, H.R. 64, Federal Prison Bureau Nonviolent Offender Relief Act of 2017, and but it's it's just been introduced. It hasn't even gone to a vote on either side, so it's not it has no chance of of passing. In fact, it hasn't done anything since January 2017. I don't know if that's right. if that's the bill they're talking about. Here's another one. Um, Reform bill may release prisoners' time by nearly 40 years, and uh, this is in reference to in a bipartisan vote and with the strong support of federal, President Trump, the House added another chapter to the decriminalization project by passing a backdoor revision of the criminal sentencing law, the First Step Act, for, described by both political parties in the media as prison reform, uh, as an acronym for its grandiose and salvic purpose. Formerly incarcerated, re-enter society, transform, safety, transitioning, every person act. Um, the House passed the bill without hearings, bipartisan vote, 25 to 5, in the Judiciary House Committee, sent the bill to the floor. Uh, and see, this is an old, an old article, though. Wait a minute. This is, this is, Trying to get a, a, a timestamp on this thing. If it's the first act, I think the, the House actually passed that. Oh, I believe it was. I think it's May July or August. Yeah, they're talking about May 25th. So this is not anything that is even today. Has it hasn't gone through the Senate? That's for sure. So I mean, that's the only thing I could find. Hitting a search right now. But unfortunately, a lot of congressmen have put out these big co comprehensive bills that, you know, they, they'll never get consensus on everything that's in it. And I, I'd like to see, at least see them take some baby steps and go after, you know, some small changes. As you know, my biggest push is, is to make drug crimes have the same statutory maximum of 20 or 25 years that a non-murder violent crime has. I, I think, to me, that would be an easy sell to say, you know, let's make distribution of marijuana at the same maximum as uh, an aggravated assault. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, here it is. You know what? I think I got what, where it's coming from. Trump made some, some kind of a comment about this, and he was saying that if this bill passes the Senate by January, and he's kind of urging them to do it. But there's nothing that says that there's any indication that anything's going to happen. It was just, you know, Trump likes to talk about a lot of things. I think he just made a comment about it and that he would support it. I mean, he would sign it, I think, if it came through. But there's nothing about the Senate aggressively trying to make it happen. Right. And as you know, our, our Congress just seems to be, pretty much dysfunctional. So it's hard to get, you know, the needed number of people to agree on anything in this Congress. Well, it's too bad there's not a value on being dysfunctional, because I would say they're really good at it. Like, like, I'd like to see more 
progress made on, you know, getting the federal government out of marijuana regulation. Hey, I you know, love leave that. It up to the states. They could get out of a lot of stuff, if you ask me. <laughs> it seems like that would be a no-brainer, but nobody seems to have the will to, to get it up for a vote. Oh, you know, yes, some people would oppose it. People like you and I remember back in the uh, 70s were under President Clinton, or uh, President Carter, they voted on it. But, uh, I mean, the whole views of marijuana and the use of marijuana, everything about marijuana has changed since those days. And I think it's time to actually put it up for a vote. Let you know, let the people speak. I I, I couldn't agree more. And that's part of what uh, the topic of the show is today is is getting up there. You know, when are we going to be sick of of the status quo? When are we going to be sick of every election cycle going and we just whine and bitch and we don't get out there and do something about it? When is that going to happen? And I'm I've about had it. I I think it's time. I'm I'm trying to build a a team of, of people willing to get up there and and, and take the, you know, um, exceptional action that's necessary. And I think that we're starting to do it. We're, we're going to start gaining some small victories, and we're going to stack them on top of each other till we get the larger one. There's your first uh, beep there, Craig. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you can finish it out. Okay, but uh, as you know, my, my push is still uh... – you know, get a hold of Congress, get a hold of your congressmen, uh, get a hold of a lot of congressmen. Nowadays, you know, mail, regular post office mail, you know, the, everybody's afraid of that, especially in Washington, D.C. recently with uh, those letter bombs and all that. So I'd love to see people, you know, go to these generic addresses, get to your your state, you know, representative, get, get to your state senator and, and tell them, you know, you need to call up marijuana for a vote. You need to express the will of your people. Over 70% of people want it legalized nowadays. That should be a, a no-brainer to get half of the House and half of the Senate to vote for it. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I've even put out some incentive um, for people that are willing to uh, – you know, get up there and uh, show me proof that they reached out to their congressman, that they had a conversation with them. I've got prizes. i got T-shirts. i got ribbons. i got stuff I'll give away for anybody to show me that you actually had a conversation with your representative um, and, and at least, you know, start the dialogue. I've started – got the worst congressman in the world, and we've started numerous dialogues. He always falls back to the white paper BS. But if enough people started pinging on him, you know, one of two things would happen. Either he wouldn't get reelected for the 30th term, or he might wake up and decide to listen to us. Well, there it goes. Cut off again. Craig Cecil. Craig Cecil calls into the show every single week. He is serving life in prison. That's about as heavy as it gets. I don't think any of us could imagine that. I don't think any of us could really wrap their head around what it would be like to be stuck in prison for the rest of your life without any hope of parole, without any way of getting out. And especially knowing, I mean, I could think, I could put myself in a spot where I did something horrible 
and I got caught or I turned myself in or whatever was going on, and I had to atone for that. I had to, I had to pay the price for what I did. I could imagine doing something, probably out of an act of rage or something like that, that would be worthy of, of a horrible punishment that I might have deserved and, and what it would be like to live with that. At least I could have the solace of knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm atoning, I'm paying my price for what I did to somebody. Craig Cecil didn't do anything to anybody. He didn't harm anybody. His crime was a conspiracy crime. He was actually guilty of fixing trucks. And every single other person that's involved in this case is already free. And Craig serves a life sentence. And he calls into the show every week. 15 minutes he gets to talk, to have a little bit of freedom, to have a little bit of hope, to be able to speak to the outside world. He risks the little bit of rights he has in there. He's not allowed to do that. We don't have permission to do that. You know, in a lot of ways, it's funny. I talk to people all the time about pushing things forward. And I'm telling you this. I speak to more people about real fundamental change, about real things, and people are afraid. People are so worried about things being legal rather than being right. And I wonder, what does it take to get somebody who's so worried about something being legal, so worried about getting in trouble, to just do the right thing, to stand up against something that's not right. What does it take? And I'm watching what it takes. I'm watching more of us. I'm excited about it, to be honest. You know, we got a fire burning in in Kansas. We got some good folks in Kansas that are working together, and I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time with them. We've got a new chapter popping up in Central Cali. Scott and Nikki are uh, listening, and I think, uh, I don't know, they might be be calling in uh, to talk about something today. We've got Ohio, New York. Florida's getting ready to step up with one, maybe even two chapters. People are standing up going, yeah, you know what, you're right. We have it easy, folks. Most of us have it really easy. Even those that have it tough, go look around the rest of the world and see what it's like. We have it pretty damn easy. And yet, we're willing to be pushed around with this. All right, I'm burning up a lot of time, but I really feel strongly about this. If you are interested in helping me end prohibition, being part of this A-team, and you're not doing it already, get a hold of me. Get a hold of me. I'm easy to reach. Go to the website, thsintl.org. Go to the contact page. Say, hey, I want to help. I want to do this. I want to be part of the A-team. This is what I want. We're working on a very specific plan. We're working on ways that we can all lock arms and bring this together with a unified message and a way to grow, to teach the teachers, to teach the trainers, to get people to know.
know how to raise up an army in their own backyard. That's what this is about. We have to raise up where we're needed. We don't have a giant army that can travel across the country at will when somebody is got a problem. We need to learn how to raise up and do this because it works when we do it. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later if there's time. All right, now we got a very, 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 very special guest on, and um, I'm going to sort of lead into this a little bit, but about a month ago or so, I had a very special experience, and um, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, a man who is uh, from the Southern Cheyenne tribe from Montana, and uh, he's a medicine man, and he came down and he was in kind of a financial spot, and um, I told, was told he had this teepee. And I said, well, maybe I'll help him out. I'll buy this teepee from him, and, and uh, you know, it'll it'll help us both out. I've always kind of wanted to do uh, a native ceremony out here, and let's see what happens. Well, anyways, he comes down and spent, I don't know, the better part of a week at my place. And we did a, a ceremony, and we put this teepee up, and um, like I said, I spent five days with this man and got to learn about the, the Cheyenne Way. And, uh, you know, there's good and there's bad around in, in, in every which way, and, and different uh, civilizations and different different. Uh, societies and different peoples all over the world have have experienced these things in different ways and to get in touch with yourself and to to connect with your creator um, and a lot of people will seriously disagree with me and, and and say that there's only one way to do this and I'm not here to disagree with anybody I'm not here to make a religious uh, statement I just want to say that the experience that we had um, over those five days um, doing the peyote ceremony and, and experiencing that way uh, was was a powerful experience for me. And when we were in this uh, ceremony, it was an all-night thing. It started at, in the late evening and went on until the early morning. And... Uh, in the process of this, there's a person, there's all these different roles, and one of the roles was a sponsor. And the sponsor is a man who is training more or less to be a medicine man, to learn the way to be able to conduct these ceremonies on his own. And um, so we're in there, and the whole idea was that I had made my property available to do this, and we let people come and be part of this. And I didn't want to put my will into this as much as um, I could have. And I, I'm, I'm working really hard to accomplish a lot of things right now, and, and uh, you know, the human solution is a big part of it, but I'm doing a lot of other things as well. And I'm focusing really hard. My case has been over for six years now, and, and I'm, or five years, four years, four years, whatever. been over for a little while. And I'm working hard now to to make a better world for my family and for the people around me and 
and for the whole world. And when we were in there, um, one of the first things that happened was that we established uh, what the intention of this was. So the ceremony is basically a big prayer. And when you go to uh, do this, there's there's a stated intention. And the, the effort that you put into the ceremony is, is about this intention. And so the, the sponsor of this, um, much to my surprise, had stated a big part of his intention for the human solution. And the work that we do and the people that were that are part of this organization. Um, he has been touched by uh, an experience. He's, he's watched us operate. He had, he had a case going on at the same time that I had my case going on. We were both locked up at the same time. We didn't really know each other at the time, but um, we knew of each other, and we had some common friends, and that, that's how we got together. Um, but when he said that, it kind of choked me up. Because I thought to myself, we've 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 reached people in in a profound way, so much so that they want for us. And when people understand that for us is for all of us, it's not it's not the little us; it's the big us. You know, everything that we want is for all of us. It's for all of the people. We don't want a law to be passed that lets one county and one state have some limited thing. We want the people to be free, to have things that are good and, and righteous and good for us. And we start with this plant, but there's so many more places for it to go. And throughout this ceremony, it got brought up, you know, in different places. There was places for uh, people to express their, their blessings and their prayers. And it was very... Uh, very powerful experience, and I can't help but think that what what's happening now with the organization and with some of the people rising up and, and really getting a fire in their belly and, and really starting to get it, um, I can't help but think that we are being blessed in a very special way, that um, that is very powerful and connected to our all of our roots, connected to our heritage. You know, they say if we stand tall, it's because we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. And in some circles, I would be considered an ancestor, and yet I stand tall on those that walk before me, and those stand on those that walk before them, and it goes on and on until the first person stood up for the first thing the first time. And uh, it was a really powerful experience. And I shared this a little bit with our executive team. And um, I've begun to work with some of the native peoples. And it's funny because they call themselves Indians. <laughs> and as we're so busy uh, being correct and making sure we say words right, uh, <laughs> they don't give a damn. They call themselves Indians. Anyways, that all being said, um, the Human Solution a while ago, two years ago when we when we had our last election before this one, we had agreed to open up our mission beyond just the fight to end prohibition. And we opened up the mission to include um, 
disabled rights, and we, we determined that there's a lot of overlap. A lot of disabled folks are suffering tremendously because of prohibition in a very specific and special way. And we wanted to make sure that it opened up our ability as a 501c3 to do work that supported them and keep it in our mission. And then uh, a year and a half ago or so, when we were working with uh, Chris Lewandowski, the, the Marine, uh, we also opened up our rights, I mean, our, our mission a little bit to include veterans and veterans' rights. And uh, on behalf of that, as it was Veterans Day a couple of days ago, uh, I raised my glass to all the veterans. I'm not a big fan of the war machine, and there's been many horrors that have been accomplished by the war machine. This war machine fought tyranny at one time and created a landscape that we could grow in and that we were able to thrive and go through our, our process. And here we are today. If it, We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the warriors that stood up and paved the way for this to happen. And the world would be a different and probably a lot worse place if it wasn't for the warriors that paved the way. And it doesn't mean that everything they do is good and righteous by any means, but um, the world we live in today is carved out by their bravery. So um, I do deeply respect uh, those that have made that choice. And uh, anybody who has ever served, I, I deeply respect your work, your service. That being said, um, through this, I've been working with a number of the Native uh, women especially. Uh, there's a lot of hardships that have gone on, and I'm not here to, again, debate the American historical perspective, but a lot of really shitty things happened uh, to the people that were here before we came. And um, a lot of it is humanity. Regardless of what happened, you know, today we own today. That's that's where we're at. And a lot of these people have opportunities today that they didn't have, and they're still struggling. Um, but there's tremendous poverty in the reservations and in the native tribes, uh, tremendous drug abuse, um, spousal abuse, violence. Um, it's 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 really a it's really a tragedy in many many ways. And so I've sort of pledged myself to work with this medicine man to, uh, you know, to send some of the things that we do to some of the folks and hopefully help them. And I was talking to Becca, uh, who's one of our executive directors, board member, and our treasurer, and she told me <laughs> that she walked across America in support of Native rights a while ago. And I said, what? <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Walked across America. So um, I've been trying to get her to come on for the last uh, few weeks, and Becca's gone through some really terrible um, personal issues, um, had a tremendous loss in her life. And one of the things that we teach or that I try to learn and teach is that, you know, life goes on and um, we go through difficulties, we go through hardships, we go through tragedies. But the thing that separates us from everybody else is us. Well, what do we do with that? And do we keep showing up? Do we keep making life for the living? Do we keep doing what we can every single day? Because you know what? The days go by. Craig Cecil is still locked up in prison. 
and all the other people that are still in prison are still there, regardless of whether we had a good day or a bad day. And things are not going to change until we change them. And Becca has always been somebody who, um, again, I've said this before, there was a time when we were going through some of our growing pains and, uh, you know, our, our membership was kind of thin. And I told her, I said, you know what, I'll carry this thing on my back if I have to. And she says, I'll, I'll carry it with you. So Becca is one of uh, a, a wonderful and unique person, and she has a, 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 a spirit of a lion. And, in fact, um, we just got our banners in, and uh, the Oregon chapter that Becca uh, heralds is the, the Lionheart chapter, which I, I couldn't agree with more. Anyways, Becca's going to tell us a little bit about her story, and we're going to talk about a little bit about how we're opening up and expanding our mission and Becca, it is always a treat to uh, have you be part of the show. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you doing today? Pretty good. It's a good day. Yeah. Oh, good. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I am just dying to hear about this trip. Um, first of all, I mean, what 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 caused that to uh, to happen? I mean, what causes somebody to say, I know, I'm going to go walk across America. What caused me to do it? Yes. Oh, that's the funny part. Okay, so I was 21 at the time, and I thought I was a really enlightened 21, but I was really an immature 21. And uh, I'd just gone through a breakup and was feeling all down and depressed. And a, a Native friend of mine, um, an Alaska Native, said he was going on this walk across the U.S. to support this guy. I didn't know who this guy was, named Leonard Peltier. And so I just thought, what the hell, I'm going with you. And I, so I got rid of all my stuff. I got rid of my apartment, quit my job, and I went on this walk. So it was with totally selfish intentions that I went on this walk, actually, to begin with. <laughs> yep. So so tell me about what was the, uh, you know, th- this walk, was it, I mean, was was it a sponsored thing, or, or how how did it come together? It came together through AIM, which is the American Indian Movement. It's a, an activist group for Indians. And uh, Dennis Banks, he's the co-founder of the American Indian Movement. He decided he was, he's done multiple walks, but he decided he was going to walk from California and follow the Trail of Tears all the way through to D.C. Um, in protest of Leonard Peltier being locked up in federal prison and as well as other Native um, issues and rights that it was going to be brought to Washington, D.C. All the issues were. So that was the point of that. And where did you you begin the journey? I began the journey in Colorado. I caught up with them in Colorado. Um, We almost crashed a million times because we were driving into a blizzard. And uh, so I caught up with them in Colorado in a freaking blizzard. That's where I caught up with them. Oh, great. <laughs> and and so how many people were there? I mean, the total of the of the of the group that was walking. I'd say the core group of us was probably only maybe between twenty and thirty people. By the time we got to D.C., like is with any event, thousands of people joined on to walk into D.C. and to to. We had a huge event in Washington, D.C. the day we arrived. But the core was about 20 to 30 people. And as you're, as you're going along, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have, um, 
you know, heard the term, the trail of tears. Um, but, but what is that? The trail of tears is, was back in the 1700s when they rounded up all the Indians and they, they walked them. Most of them died. They walked them, um, through half of the United States, um, like internment camps, basically. It's before they give them reservations and all that stuff. So that's the trail of tears. Yeah, and it was it was really a brutal. It was probably one of the lowest points that I can think of of of, of our society and and some of the things that we did. Um, it was just a, a brutal act that, that did not have any humanity connected to it. And um, like you said, most of them didn't survive. Uh, there's been mm-hmm. Few annihilations that have gone on in our history, and that was that was one of them. That was one that uh, I just think that again, you know, um, a lot of people just don't know. They hear they hear you know little bits and pieces about things, and they kind of make assumptions, but they don't necessarily understand what's behind it. Um, and you know, there's there's different um, points of view. Some people say, well. You know, these people didn't have their own place anyways. They drifted around, and they, they went from here to there, and, and we just took some of their space and moved them where they weren't. Yeah, um, there's, yeah. You know, I, again, I'm not I'm not here to uh, make a, a judgment call on it. I just think that that was a horrible thing that happened. And the most important thing is is, is where are we at today? And so, you know, even though this was a, a few years back, um, you were walking through reservations. Um, how many reservations do you think you stopped through? God, I'm trying to, I was trying to think back on that. Um, I'd say at least 10. A couple stuck out really clearly to me because, I mean, a lot of people don't realize either that the reservation, the land they gave to the natives, the reservations was the worst land in any state or territory at that time. It was the worst of the worst, and nobody wanted it. So some of the reservations I stopped on, I mean, the poverty was horrible on every reservation I stopped on. I didn't pass one rich one. And some didn't even have working plumbing. Um, A lot of them were surviving on state food um, commodities. But these people would, they would open up their houses to us because we were, as we walked along, we just slept wherever we could. We slept in public parks. We slept in, you know, wherever, outside. But they would open their houses to us and they would feed us you know, fry bread and hominy soup and whatever they could, and they would give us tobacco, and they were so generous and gracious with what little they had. And the conditions were horrible. That's what just kept, every time, I just couldn't believe that people had to live like that in that kind of poverty. It was horrible. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've noticed, you know, I've been working with a lot of people for a lot of lot of years for a lot of different reasons, a lot of different causes, a lot of different um, groups. And generally, I'd have to say that generally people suck. I mean, <laughs> a, a lot of people are just, frankly, if I was an alien and I and I landed on this place, and not just in America, everywhere, I've seen shitty people all over the world, and and generally selfishness and and laziness and just oppressiveness and just overall shittiness. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a pretty high percentage of people, but you know, 
in every single walk, and it seems to come out more so in the impoverished places than the high-end places. But, again, maybe I've spent more time in impoverished places than high-end places to know that. Um, but it seems <laughs> that I've seen people just really be their their highest selves in many cases when they don't have anything to give and they don't have anything and and they'll still they'll 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 give you the the couch to sleep on they'll give you whatever if they got a a sandwich they'll break it in half and give you half of it um i've seen that kind of behavior you know it might only be 1 or 2% of the people but it it's it's the thing to me that says this human race is worth it and i think that maybe that behavior can be inspiring to others i think the one thing about humans is that we have the ability to change um we're not stuck being the way we are we're not stuck being who we are we all have the ability to wake up uh we all have the ability to uh rise up out of whatever problem we're in we have the ability to overcome addictions and abusive behaviors and and anything really um you know you look through history and there's been a number of stories of bad people that turned into be good people after a while and i just can't help but think that that's a big part of what all of this is about the big work that we're doing the big you know what the human solution is all about really is about you know sort of making a fundamental change to the core of humanity and you know reaching in and just tweaking it just a little bit to get that that goodness that that we have inside of us that I think everybody has whether they express it or not um what do you think if you were to boil down maybe one or two experiences of this you know how long did it take you 6 months to walk um it took us a total of i believe it was 4 months i mean i walked myself personally 25 to 30 miles a day. Yeah. yeah. So That's a good clip. That's a good clip. I bet yeah. you're in pretty good shape last time you were done. I was so skinny. Oh, God, yeah. I, I went down so many pants size, it was ridiculous. But it only took me about <laughs> two weeks to gain back probably 10 pounds after the walk was over. Yeah, isn't it funny how, how one, one direction goes uh, the hard way, one direction... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's pretty easy to put it really back. Really fast. I was like, yeah, I started getting a little tummy. I'm like, wow, because I went back with a couple of guys I met in Ohio. They were from Ohio. I went back to their place. And we were just living at large and eating, you know, and laying around. And we all put on little little tummies <laughs> just from the fear lack. Yeah, just no activity, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it but is But I have two, two memories from the walk that stick out that, that I still to this day can remember so clearly. Or three, I guess, three. Out of the whole right. walk. Well, that, um, yeah, one was we had this Buddhist nun on the walk. Um, she had been on walks all over the United States for all kinds of reasons, and she had a Buddhist monastery in New York, and she was an ex-terrorist, actually. She said she used to bomb places, ride a motorcycle. Heavy lady, but she um, was obviously not anymore. She was a Buddhist nun. And um, I walked I walked with her because she was so inspiring, and I, I walked with her and drummed, and then um, when we got to Leavenworth, which is where Leonard Peltier was imprisoned, the prison, for some reason, had given us permission. They cordoned off a little square outside the prison, 
and they allowed us wow. to fast and uh, fast and chant and, and drum. We would chant and drum from the minute the sun came up to the minute the sun went down. For four days we did this. No food, no water, nothing. And he could wow. hear us inside. We found out he could hear us very clearly inside, chanting and drumming, which was really, really cool. That's and, powerful. I can, I can, yeah, I can right? almost feel that. I could almost feel that. Then another one was we used to hold events. At, probably every two days we would hold a drum circle or some event to try to spread the word about what we were doing and all that stuff. And this one event, this gentleman came up to me. We had these sweatshirts made somehow that had the Walk for Justice on them and all that, you know, in the year. And he asked if he could buy my sweatshirt. He wanted to buy my sweatshirt and donate the money to our cause and have all of us sign it. And he was going to have it um, given to Leonard Peltier. And my sweatshirt was nasty. We didn't bathe, you know, we didn't have access to running water. You know what I mean? We stunk. My hair was matted. But I gave him the sweatshirt, and I guess Leonard Peltier did get that sweatshirt, that stinky, nasty, uh, dirty sweatshirt that we all signed. So. Wow. That is fantastic. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, when I was locked up, um, and it was six years ago. Right now, I was behind bars. There was uh, some friends of mine. This was when the Occupy thing was going on in Oregon, and I had mm-hmm. some friends. Actually, um, one of our longest 420 members is one of the people that are up there, and um, they actually wrote a song about my case um, and published it. But I, they sent me this little quilt, and it was from the Occupy Oregon, um, Occupy Portland people, and they had made this little quilt, and they had all, while I was locked up, they had done a similar thing, and I have this little piece of the patchwork, you know, from, from Occupy Oregon, and uh, they did it for me when I was locked up. It was really a powerful little thing. I, I can almost, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a different different connection but it's a powerful thing um when people do exceptional actions i i think it makes a change i think you probably gave leonard a um you know some juice that helped that helped get him through that i mean that's a it's 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 a big thing when people get together and take an action and that's what i think that why can't we get together and come up with you know some extraordinary action. There's we have we have people all across the country and even in other countries that are thinking about working together, that are talking about working together, that are that are putting our hearts and our minds and our thoughts into ending prohibition. I can't help but think maybe there's something big brewing in the next little while uh, that comes out of it. So, did you feel? I mean, do you have Native American blood in you? I do, actually, but I didn't know that really at the time. I wasn't aware of that. And I ended up um, having a, well, she's technically my stepdaughter. I've raised her since birth. But she's half Native, so, and that was after the walk. Because it was just something to do at the time when I went on it, but the whole experience transformed me. I mean, I came out a completely different being than when I went on it. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm an activist. I mean, that's with the beginning. And, you know, this connection to 
you know, the Native people, we're all the Native people from somewhere. We all have a a, a source of, you know, um, our ancestors or whatnot. But at the end of the day, this is about humanity, um, and it really doesn't matter what, what runs through your blood. I mean, I've, I've more or less mm-hmm. walked away from most of my bio family um, as a result of being an activist and, and, and caring about the bigger picture. I learned that blood really doesn't mean a whole lot in that bigger picture, but this is my family. This is the the people that I've chosen to be with, the people that have chosen to be with me. Um, and I, I, I have to think, um, as you went through this, and, and you said it awoke your activism heart, um, and it, it seems that there's this connection, you know, these people that are suffering have to believe that cannabis could be helpful in so many ways. Uh, the alcohol, the heroin, the meth, the abuse, the poverty, the, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And yet you think about cannabis as a, as a, as a source of positive things, as a source of healing, as a source of, um, uh, even raising income as a source of, of turning on, it's almost the antithesis to all those things. Um, and I, I have to think that maybe, um, you know, with this experience I had and, and connecting with that, that it's time that we open up our, our mission a little bit. And we've talked about it, and I think we're going to ultimately vote on it. But um, to including <clears throat> the Native American rights and, and, and the plight of the Native American uh, tribes, the non-casino reservations, which are plentiful, you know, if you ever drive across the country or if you ever spend any time, you know, traveling around on foot or, or, you know, just in your car, you realize there's reservation land wherever you go. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's in every in, in every rural place you'll come upon, um, you know, this reservation goes into that one, goes into that one. And if there's not a big casino sitting on it that they're feeding off of, generally speaking, you're going to be dealing with some major poverty and and um, all of the societal woes that come from that. And uh, well, I believe the natives are also some of the minorities that that uh, are really forgotten. They're like the quiet, silent, hidden minorities that people forget about that are just as affected as African Americans and Hispanics and everybody else. But they're just kind of pushed to the side. You know, you just don't notice them or think about them. That's part of what pulls me to that in particular is that they've been forgotten. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I was going to tell the story somewhere during the show. This might be a perfect time. Last night I was um, I was doing some writing. I'm trying to get back into writing. And um, I was just getting started doing it. My wife had on uh, the PBS channel, and there was uh, – first story was about uh, the Japanese and Chinese before world, in World War II. And then the second story came on, and it was about um, the Native American, uh, uh, the Cherokee, and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the conquistadors, and the, and then the, the U.S. Army killing off all their horses. And that was kind of a horror, a horror story. And then after that, they did a show about these uh, Peruvian Indians, and they were the bridge builders. 
and it was the most remarkable thing I'd ever seen. Uh, every year, there's this there's this group of people, and I believe it's in Peru, and they have this grass bridge that spans across this big oh. giant canyon over the water, and every year they cut the old bridge down, and they spend I don't know how long it takes them to do it, but there's like 700 people, and they it was like two days. It took them like two days because like of yeah, the amount they, of people. They, People, they just start getting the grass and they spin it around into a rope. Yeah. And they take the ropes and they lay them out and then they braid the ropes and then they drag them across and they stretch them across this thing and they get out there and they tie these things. But, you know, it's the most amazing community effort. And I, yep. when I was watching this thing happen and I watched them pull the, the, the new rope across. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there's not any way that any one of those people could have ever even put a dent in that. Even half of those people couldn't have come close to doing that. But when all of them worked together, when all of them decided, you know, and I'll bet you all of those people in that in that group didn't like each other. I bet you they yeah. weren't all they weren't all friends. They weren't all. Probably some of them couldn't stand each other. Probably some of them were <laughs> jealous and bitter and and whatever all the humanity problems that we have. But they decided they decide every year that it's more important to be able to walk across to the other side over there and have access to that and have that freedom and that liberty that that bridge gives them. And they put their shit aside and they get together and they work together. And and when I saw that laid out. And the joy that all those people got when the old rope got cut down and landed it all hundreds of feet down into the water, and they laid out this beautiful, beautiful new bridge made out of grass. Literally, it's made out of the grass that grows in the prairie. And uh, I thought to myself, why can't we do that? Why won't we do that? And I couldn't come up with a reason. So I decided we should do that. (laughs) We should, we should, we should worry about getting together and coming up with these, with the project that requires a lot of people and getting those people together and making it happen. I, I, I think I was inspired by that. I thought to myself, I can't come up with a reason why we shouldn't be able to do that. So I think that... Now I watched um, the same documentary. That's funny. And I had the same kind of reaction to it. Like, <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, they all came together. Yeah. Even had the kids there and everybody. So I think that, you know, I, I it's been a message for many years now. I look back and every once in a while I'll go back and I'll watch some old videos or some some things that we talked about way back when, and the message hasn't changed that much. But maybe how we go about it, instead of just, you know, standing on a on a public place and trying to, trying to rally people, I think what we're doing now, and, and just trying to get a few good people that are willing to dig in and put in an effort, you know, to struggle through this, to give enough of an effort that is worthy of somebody else stepping in and saying, let me help. You know, the 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 amount of physical and, and spiritual and, and um, psychological, all the different ways that you have to put effort to make that bridge happen, they all did it. They all, they all came to... They all came to work, and they all put it out there, and they all gave it their all, and they made it happen. And they know they could, 
And I know that we can. So I really think that maybe that's the lesson that we can take from all of this and, um, you know, really thinking about what that project can be that we can that we can that we can use to to unite us that bridge that we can build to uh to connect enough of us together to get that liberty that we're after I would agree with that yeah can't think of something well, what do you think if there was one one you know sentence that you could sum it all up in um obviously that that trip changed you it it affected yeah. you and in a in a profound and and obviously a very positive way. I I don't know. I didn't know you before that, but I know who you are today and I I can't help but say good job because <laughs> it made you into <laughs> quite an incredible person. <laughs> so, do you have like one 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 thing that you took from it? Yeah, like before I went on that walk um, I was painfully shy. I couldn't make eye contact. I had trouble holding conversations with people. I left that walk feeling I had no shyness left. I could talk in front of groups. I could talk to strangers. Um, and I had a, I always had compassion and empathy, but I had a level of compassion and empathy that I never could have imagined having before that walk. And it just essentially, I felt like it woke me up. It woke me the fuck up in all ways. Yeah. I think that, uh, that's a good lesson. I think that's the lesson that we need to have. Like I said, that, that kid that I'm working with down in uh, Southern California, he had that wake the fuck up moment. Um, I remember when Liz yeah. McDuffie got it about why jury nullification was a real important thing, that, that, that moment, that epiphany. Um, I think that that's the key to it all. We all need to stop and think if we haven't had an epiphany, um, maybe we should start thinking about having one. Um, maybe it's time to do something exceptional to to find that that thing that's in all of us. Um, and if we have it, maybe I think it takes something like that too. You have to do something outside of yourself. Because this yeah. all involved nothing to do with me. It involved actually me suffering, really. But everything was outward. It was towards other people, towards helping someone else. So I don't think you can have that epiphany without that outward outward view. I think that what happens, I think that, I mean, I know when it woke me up, it was when they locked me up. When I was, when I was in Mm -hmm. a, in a concrete room that I couldn't get out of all of a sudden, I I almost literally felt uh, something inside of me just tore its way out of my heart and said, fuck you. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. But I mean, that was it. It was, it was, it was, it was that thing. I can tell you exactly that moment where I was starting to feel claustrophobic and I was feeling like, oh, shit, what have I done? And all of a sudden that thing came out of me and, and it, I've never been the same since. And I know that many people that have gone on to be leaders, gone on to be inspirations, um, gone on to do things with their lives that have helped the world, made the world different and better, um, have had a moment, have had something that they had to overcome or be with. Sometimes it's helping somebody else overcome something. It's just as important to be part of somebody else's awakening because it can, it can reach out to you as well. 
But I think that's mm-hmm. it. I think that as I'm watching the um, the comments being made on these feeds and, and um, the people that have had them get it, maybe it's time. Let's look inside yourself. If you haven't had an, an awakening, maybe it's time to have one. If you have had one, maybe it's time to share it. This is a lesson that I've gotten from the universe many times. And, and when you go through something horrible, and when you survive something horrible, whatever it is, it could be a, a death, it could be uh, a conquering a, a disease, it could be an, a, a conquering a, an addiction or whatever, it could be anything. But when you do that, when you survive something horrible, you're given a gift simply by surviving it. And that gift mm-hmm. is a gift of empathy and a, a gift that could give you compassion Compassion, to me, is the ultimate end of this. If we have compassion, we actually want better for somebody else. And it's that compassion that I think drives the core of the human solution. But that gift of, of saying, I know what it's like. I, I've been where you are. I, I've i seen, experienced this thing that you're going through. It enables you to be able to help raise them up. And I think that that's part of this whole deal, is we're raising ourselves up. This is... I think they call it edification. We're 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 raising up out of this mess that we're all in, and you know it comes from the spirit. It comes from it comes from our divine creation. It comes from us. It comes from inside of us, and that's I think what it's all about. And you know I think that that's just a real powerful thing. Well, Becca, I am just really really pleased that you're able to share that with us and. Um, you know, in spite of all the things that you've been going through, I I am just so proud that you're standing there with me and, and, and this group and helping us uh, raise up out of this uh, oppression that we've let us get into. Well, thank you. I'm glad I got to share it because it's just, it's something I did. It's a part of my life. I don't think about how huge it really was. You know, until I say something and then I remember that, yeah, that's a pretty major deal. I'm walking across uh, the yeah. U.S., yeah. <laughs> I would say that, that, that sets you apart from, I don't know, probably 99.3% of all the people out there. I'd say that makes you quite <laughs> exceptional. Well, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm, only, I'm only sorry I wasn't there to, to experience that with you, but I was I was probably going through my own personal thing at the time. Um, but oh, yeah. anyways, Becca, I'm so, so glad that you were able to join the show and, and share that. And everybody has um, been really, really impressed with the, with the, every time you come on the show, everybody loves it. So I, I, I thank you for doing <laughs> it. Thank you. All right. Once again, folks, Becca Nichols, um, she has become a dear friend. She started out as a, as a, a peer, somebody who came in at a time of our need with the organization, and uh, she's one of these people that shows the value of showing up, putting your professional hat on, coming to work every day, um, not taking shit, not taking excuses, not making excuses, just getting in there and getting her done. Um, But through that, through working together, her heart and her humanity have shown through in such a way that uh, is profound, and I'm profoundly blessed to be in your world. All right, we got a good half hour left, and we got a whole bunch of people that are here to talk. Uh, Mike Harris is here. 
Mike's got a cool story that I can't wait to hear. Um, we got a victory in court. Uh, the judge ruled in our favor in that case we've been talking about. Uh, Tom Corby's back in. That makes me happy. We got Colleen and Bobby um, and Creed Leffler. We got a, a whole bunch of people. So um, we're going to, I guess, be done with my yapping and get into everybody else's. Um, Mike Harris has been on the show numerous times. He's a, a former um, board member of the Human Solution International. He's been part of our uh, media team for a long time, court supporter. Um, he's he's a solid guy, a guy who has been really um, walking the walk, not afraid to get in there and and work to to stand up for things that are right. And he got approached by uh, the DPA and um, or I, he raised up his hand. I guess is how it all worked and said, "I'll I'll do it." They were looking for a test case. Uh, to bring to the court in uh, Fontana had a really oppressive city ordinance that if, was a de facto ban of cultivation. They, they had complete oppression. Uh, if you wanted to grow in compliance with Prop 64 in California, um, you had to go through a criminal background check and open your house to inspections and all kinds of stuff, so much so that nobody did it. And um, this team of attorneys and um, advocates got together, and they said, you know, we're going to file a lawsuit. And the last time Mike was on, they had just submitted the uh, uh, the argument, and it seemed positive. The judge seemed to be kind of spanking the uh, um, the. the the defendants in this case, and they were a formidable army. Best Best and Krieger is the law, the law firm that represents many cities in California, and they're no slouch. These are some high-paid, high-powered attorneys that are behind um, some major cities, and um, they're historically oppressive of cannabis, and they've done a lot of things that have, have you know, been part of the problem. Mike's going to tell uh, us what actually happened and uh, hopefully correct any mistakes I may have made in, in my interpretation of it. Mike, as always, uh, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you aboard. And it's a pleasure to talk again, Joe. You know, i got to say that uh, all the people that helped me and influenced me, uh, you were right there at the top on, uh, you know, giving me, uh, you know, the spark to, you know, step up. Well, and step up you did, so tell us what happened. Well, you know, the issue, and I'll quote like verbatim right from the uh, the court order. The issue in this case, this is written by Judge Cohn. The issue in this case is how far a city can restrict the category of persons who are entitled to grow a marijuana plant and the circumstances in which they may grow the plants without running afoul of whom's requirements that regulations be, quote, reasonable, unquote. The city of Fontana has gone too far. And, uh, yeah, he said that. And then I'll, I'll skip a few lines. The ordinance also imposes onerous restrictions that bear little or no relationship to the activity supposedly being regulated. While many of the provisions of the ordinance are reasonable, the effect of the ordinance as a whole is not to regulate cannabis cultivation for personal use, but to stamp it out entirely. 
Indeed, the council informs the court that no one has even bothered to apply for the permit required by the ordinance. And that ordinance was out for two years. So um, last Thursday, I went and filed um, for an application to the, for a permit. Or actually, I filed my application. And uh, attached to that was the court order. Um, and um, I had printed on my application um, by my uh, lawyers that um, they were stipulating there are no fees and the drug is, this uh, application has an attachment of the court order and uh, they are to act regardingly. Uh, Basically, they uh, all every single last fee was struck, so it doesn't cost uh, at, at this time anybody um, wanting a permit doesn't cost them a penny. It struck uh, any kind of personal inspection. It struck all the provisions uh, that eliminate somebody with a criminal uh, background in the last five years, uh, designating uh, one room for the house. Uh, basically, the judge said, you know, since um, I've struck all of these onerous uh, provisions, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> He was asking the attorney, uh, Stephen Dunn, who uh, was the uh, attorney for uh, and k when they gutted 215, by the way. So, like, the man was fit to be tied. You know, what's the connection to all of this? And then the judge could, or the the attorney could never answer a single question uh, specifically of what's the connection, you know, with what you're asking with, with um, this ordinance and the connections you're, the, the reasons you're giving. And the... And that was the, the crux of the thing, because you can have a, a bad ordinance and the city's entitled, or you can have you know, a ridiculous one and the city's so entitled. But if you put something out and then you can't argue it with any kind of legitimacy and somebody comes up with a writ of mandamus, you, know, you better be able to step up, and they couldn't. And you know, so I filed the uh, – initially, they wouldn't even accept the application. But to my advantage, you know, I set up uh, press. You know, I'm having fun with that now, Joe. I, I've kind of gotten a little, you know, talented at it, a little bit of talent. Yes, I had a uh, reporter from uh, the Press Enterprise in the Orange County Register present, as well as uh, a witness from uh, Normal and uh, Lanny Swerdlow. And you know, so there was uh, cameras present. There was uh, a l reporters present and they were very, very nervous, to say the least. <laughs> they have uh, 30 days from when I filed, and they're talking about amending the, the uh, ordinance somehow. And so they have to do that, I guess, uh, it's a city council meeting, which will be on the 27th of this month. So I'll be watching the agendas and see what they come up with and be present and speaking if they try to pull something. Also, uh, my legal team is still 100% intact. They're watching nice. them. They, they they watch the city council meetings now, to watch, to see what they're going to do. Because they, I think, are chomping at the bit of being able to go to the state supreme court and set up precedent. And when that happens, if we can get it to happen, um, this this case, you know, will have nothing to do with me and everything to do with anybody over the age of 21 that wants to cultivate in their own home. Well, hey. That's the exciting part about this whole thing. So it, the natural progression of this is that um, they're going to appeal the decision 
um, do you get uh, you'll you'll get a notice when that's filed or when that when that process begins? Well, no, they're they're trying to uh, rewrite the existing ordinance, which I think you know they they're very limited on doing because if they you know they've got a court order that struck everything that they that in this ordinance, so they have the legal right to start over. Um, oh, and, okay. And do that, and they think they have the right, and this isn't quite. Uh, of uh, maybe making amend, an amendment to it to lowering the fees or something. But they have to have a reason for why they have fees in there in the first place. Now, right, when I was right. talking to the clerk that was accepting the uh, ap- the uh, application, he was saying, we don't accept any applications without a fee. And I said, well, you accept <laughs> this one because I got a court order saying you have to. And, yep. you know, they they were incredulous. They, they said, well, expect some fees. And I said, well, expect uh, the lawyers talking to you. You know, so it's out of your hands. <laughs> I love it. You know, one of the things that we've learned over the years is when you're doing something that's righteous and you bring the spotlights out, it tends to cause the rats and cockroaches to get nervous. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a useful tactic. It's something that, you know, when, when you're standing on the right side of things, we want everybody to see. And I can remember when uh, the judge ordered, in my first case, uh, return of all my property. I went to the Riverside Sheriff's Department and with this court order and said, I'd like to get my pot back. Um, they were like, well, and you have to have an appointment. I said, well, I'd like to make an appointment. Well, we can't do that. And it, it finally took my attorney to file something. I forget what it was, but it took them three months with a very clear court order from that judge to return all my property. And they finally did. I finally, I drove out of the Riverside Sheriff's Department with 10 pounds of seized cannabis and cannabis products, all in sealed evidence bags. And with no assurance from them that they weren't going to rearrest me, but um, that happened. And they don't know what to do with it when, 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 when they lose control for a moment. And every once in a while, a judge gives us the power that we're supposed to have all along. So that is super exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing when they grant this thing because, hell, it's about time you've been able to be able to grow some plants again. Well, that was the whole intention, you know, of uh, being able <laughs> to do this. Um, a reporter that wrote uh, one of the stories on this said that the only one in seven cities actually has a permit. The rest of them, they just default to the state and, Say well, you know, if the state says you can do it. Just you know, don't be a nuisance at it. I suppose, and then they they would respond then. But they don't write an ordinance that is trying to exclude well, that, people from participating. That's probably the proper way to do it. Just default to the to the state. If the state passed the law and say let it be. I mean, you know, it's 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 by its own nature a lot more trouble than it's worth to try to enforce something like this unless you have something to take from it. And, you know, I think they've had a hard time collecting all the fines that they've issued in all of these, uh, you know, especially NorCal. They've, they, they've done a lot of restrictive ordinances as a way to try to stop it, but people just don't pay the fines. They're like, well, screw you. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think they're finding it's not so worth it to just do that. So, anyways, yeah. I am super excited. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of sorry I wasn't there to experience some of this with you, but... Um, 
I, I've been able to at least live vicariously through your tell, telling of it, and uh, one day I look forward to seeing your your permitted grow. Well, um, perhaps you, but not the city. No, 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 no. I certainly would not bring the city with me. <laughs> yeah, they're still trying. It's not over. Yeah, no, it's not. Well, please uh, uh, feel free to come aboard and, and give us any updates as they're happening. I get a lot of people that ask me um, off and on about what's going on with that case in Fontana. So um real excited that we're getting that update. I'm most excited that it happened the way it did. So um, good, good work and uh, good job to the legal team and everybody who's involved. All right. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thanks. Mike Harris again, folks. All right, let's see. We got a lot going on and a little bit of time. We always seem to come down to that place. Uh, we got Bobby and Colleen from Crescent City, way up in Northern California. Bobby and Colleen, how are you doing today? You know what? We're doing great, Joe. We uh, just wanted to tell you thank you for taking your time to do this show, and uh, it seems like this is a show that we really, really needed to hear. It's been a great positive, lots of wonderful things being said in um, in a time of a lot of great loss and tragedy, it seems like, and uh, your words and everyone that spoke, Craig Cecil touched my heart. Um, I'm so glad and grateful that he calls in, and I, I'm thankful and I'm grateful that you take the time out of your busy, busy life to do this show because tonight it affected me so greatly and it helped me, and I'm I'm thankful for that. And here's Bobby. I love you guys. Give Liz a big hug. Oh, uh, we love you too, Colleen. Hey there, Joe. Hey, Bobby. Good to see you. I'm watching you actually on my TV and YouTube. This is so cool. But I, I, I love you all. And uh, all these soldiers out there, I'm going to head down and see Tom Corby tomorrow. Um, it's important to unite and keep in touch. Life is precious and short. And, you, you know, you, you know, uh, this has become one big family for me. I think it's going on about seven years now. When uh, I met you at Easter time, uh, 2012, I think it was, but, uh, hell, I weighed 90 pounds. The doctors had gave up on me. Cannabis saved my life. And, there, I mean, there's not a person, that, a judge, you know, a cop that could ever tell me any different. And and it's just, it's ridiculous at this point that it's it's still illegal. I can't understand it. I should be able to go to Walgreens and have them, my insurance pay for it. You know, a copay, get it for free. I don't, I, you know, if it, regulating tax, I don't, if that's what they want to do, then let the insurance companies pay for the medicine. You know, I don't understand them, but I love you guys and I love what you do. I have a friend in from Louisiana who, um, his dad uh, is sick down there and he's, you know, been illegally treating with cannabis, of course, but we're trying to change the laws everywhere. And this has inspired him and he wanted to say a little something tonight. His name's Quentin. My hat's off to, to all you guys, but I'm going to pass the phone to Quentin. All right. Hello, Quentin. Joe. Hey, how Yes, you sir. Doing? I'm doing wonderful, Welcome. and how about yourself? <laughs> doing fantastic. Above ground, breathing, and currently out of custody. <laughs> I like that motto. It sounds like a great one. Uh, I'd like so to far. just... Uh, 
I would like to touch upon something that you said on your show here. I've seen just the first time I've uh, viewed it. Um, but you were talking about the contacting of uh, like, you know, congressmen and representatives on that level, you know, on the federal like uh, level. Um, I just wanted to let you know that a lot of people are proud of like, you know, California and Colorado for having reform laws, but I take great pride in New Orleans. New Orleans, if you Google it, you'll find a Times-Picayune about six or seven months ago that the city, including uh, the entire city council and the chief of police, completely just decriminalized it. So I would like to encourage people out there that are wishing to have these absurd prohibition laws uh, taken, uh, you know, taken away, that you also consider that here on a local level, no matter what size your town or city is, that you can go to city council meetings. New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and soon my uh, hometown of Lafayette, Louisiana, will be uh, having a, its first uh, medicinal oil dispensary, and it's because the people on a local level, it had nothing to do with freaking congressmen at all. It has to do with the police working with your city government and the city council, and things can get done on a local level that is going to choke the system down at the bottom and force the top to have to ask for food. You know, it's just another thing for food for thought for this wonderful thing that you're doing, my friend. Oh, absolutely. And Quentin, just so you know, my message has always been it's, a, it's the power of one. Each, each one of us has the power, the right to make change, whether it's being uh, answering a jury summons and sitting on that on that jury and saying not guilty because the law is bad, immoral, or unjust, and you have a right to do that without any fear of being punished. The right to, uh, to, to, to make change all around you with the people that you're around, with your local government, with your local uh, – anybody that would have influence on you, you have a right and even an obligation to do everything you can to make those changes. And as much as I know Craig, you know, thinks that Congress is the answer, I support that because he supports it. But anybody who knows me for any length of time, um, I, it's, it's all grassroots, and every single one of us can, will, and does make a change, and hopefully it's a change for the better. I completely agree with that. Uh, thank you very much for uh, what you're doing. Uh, now that I'm getting to see it firsthand, uh I uh, originally had some thoughts of doing something uh, similar back in my college days, but I was scared to be prosecuted for the name of the uh, <laughs> the uh, Internet address that I wanted to purchase. Um, but I do uh, – I would like to drop a name uh, for your viewers. There is a very important person. I'm a veteran, and I consider this man I'm about to mention the name of to be the most uh, patriotic of all Americans. Um, his name is Smedley Butler. Um, people could look into this guy. He wrote his book. The first book was Wars a Racket. It discusses uh, all of your big pharma stuff, uh, and all of the, the records are available uh, free online. People can see truth um, instead of watching illusion and BS on the television set and all the, I call them the 1984 Orwellian charades <laughs> that we have on the TV today. Um, but I encourage everyone to seek out the truth about exactly what um, our enemy is. Uh, we are trained to learn our enemy. Well, our enemy is Big Pharma. Our enemy is uh, all of these big corporations that have been in power for 100 years or so. And uh, it begins with awakening. 
And people need to be awakened to uh, books such as War is a Racket, written by the most decorated Marine of World War II and an advocate for veterans of World War I. So there's a great deal of things that can be done. Um, I look forward to uh, getting to know you uh, better. I, I'm glad to have finally uh, been able to see your show. And uh, I really want, want to shake your hand one day on a job well done, sir. You have my respect. Excellent. I appreciate that, and I hope to earn it. Um, I will look up that book, and I will read it probably by the time that uh, that we meet in person. So, um, you want to say the name of the, the, name of the author yeah, the the name of the book is War is a Racket and Smedley Butler. And if I I will I will have it texted um to your webpage if not, but it's easy to find on uh uh on Google. Uh Smedley Butler and then you will find the business plot and War is a Racket. The two most infamous will, uh, things for them. So I appreciate and you that might- and you know the key. You might is, want also. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Um. Okay. You also might want to, for your viewers in the future, go ahead and look at the Times Picayune about the article I'm sh- I'm talking about as far as New Orleans completely just the police, you know, saying we're not arresting people for this anymore. So you know, uh, a little ammunition to to hand you for, you know, like hey, there here's an example of a city that told not only the federal government, you know, where to put it, but they told their state government where to put it. You know, so uh, I believe that the real strength uh, lies at the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> so uh, that's about all I have to say, Joe. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate that, and I agree with that, and I've been saying that forever. And, again, you're right. The, the, the power is in the people. Remember, with public sentiment, anything is possible, and without it, nothing is possible. And we are the public sentiment. We are the ones that make that voice up. And – It only takes a small group of people to say, you know what, we're not going to do this, or we are going to do this. And generally speaking, when when we get it into even the smallest area of power, a a local city, the state's not going to stamp out a local city for doing what they think is right. Generally speaking, they'll be allowed to do what they want without any interference, and especially if you get uh, the law enforcement in support of it. So I wholeheartedly agree with that and I think next week's show we're going to talk about local action and I'll do some research on other towns but we'll get into well, it I can, I, actually, I, I, can uh, I can probably help you out a little bit with that uh, and I'll call in next week <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well let's talk during the week and I'll, I'll get some more information okay. from you and we'll build that a sounds show wonderful, around it Jay. All oh right, that sounds well. great alright rock on my brother <laughs> Hello from Crescent City. Hello, and here's Bobby. All right. Hey, Joe. You there? All right. Well, we're uh, we're running low on time, so I'm gonna have to get moving along. I got uh, I got Creed, I got George Martirano, and I got uh, Tom Corby to wrap up the show here. So, uh, but let's talk during the week about uh, about this next show. All right, let's see. We got Creed Leffler up, and then we got George Martorano, and then Tom Corby. Creed Leffler, welcome to today. Hi, guys. How are you? 
I am doing fantastic. I'm going to read the message because we're kind of in a hurry. Yes. Hi, Cup of Joe with Joe. I have some good news and I have some bad news. We have 7,135 signatures on the petition I created. Lisa, do you want to give them the bad news I talked to you about a couple days ago regarding YouTube? Sorry I haven't been on the show for a couple weeks. I've been working on some big projects that you will hear about as they happen. Joe, earlier you were talking about bridge builders. There's a poem called The Bridge Builder that I'm thinking might be fitting to read during this show. Can you Google the poem and read it on the show today? Oh, and Joe, can you at some point allow me to be on the actual live feed as a guest? There's a new feature on Facebook Live that allows you to add people to the broadcast. I'm not going to be able to do that tonight, but maybe in a couple weeks. Thanks. Excellent. Well, I'm going to just answer those questions here, and then uh, we'll we'll move on because I'm running out of time. I will look up the bridge builder and read it on next week's show because I'm almost out of time. Um, Lisa, I don't know where she just went, but I think she'll be back here shortly, and she will give the bad news. Oh, here she is. I'm right here. Okay. And then as far as the um, being a guest on the live feed on Facebook, I believe Lisa can add you to that. She's the one who does the live feed where I do the YouTube um, I do the YouTube feed. So, anyways, I'm going to turn it over to Lisa. She's going to tell us the bad news, and we'll see what's going on. What am I telling? The bad news about YouTube. Oh, okay. The bad news about YouTube is they once again have taken out uh, Sasha, who is also known as uh, Silent Pippi. And um, we don't know why they've taken her channel down again, but they have. And uh, there are still some other channels that are up. So we need to make sure that we make a lot of noise um, because we shouldn't have our voices silenced just for doing what we as adults like to do. She is an adult. She is over the age of 18. And um, it's not right that they've done that. They allow drinking. They allow stupid things. 88,000 people die a year from alcohol. So why not let people the plant? So that's the bad news. And then uh, the good news is Creed's got like a of people on his uh, uh, petition, over 7,000, so, you know, but we just keep, uh, support people on YouTube, watch Joe's channel on YouTube, um, that's how you can rewatch the videos right here, um, they're all archived on our www.phsintl.org website, you can re-see all of our videos, you can call in, and uh, yeah, so the bad news is that they took uh, Sasha off, but the good news is um, we Help her get back on. All right. There we go. And, and you know, folks, um, and, and Chris, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you go, but um, I'm going to continue talking about this a little bit. We're getting some feedback going on. But it would be great to have you come on maybe in two weeks. Next week's Thanksgiving, so the week after that, um, maybe have you come on with the uh, live feed on the Facebook. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to coordinate that. Again, Creed Leffler, once again, this guy is a hell of an activist and uh, demonstrates every time that we just keep going. He shows up to work and he gets going. Thank you very much, Creed. All right. Up next, we got George Martirano. Um, and, you know, again, George is a dear friend. Um, George has uh, endured things that I can't imagine. Um, we talk about those 
those moments, those epiphany moments, those um, those life-changing events. Imagine 32 years uh, languishing in prison over a plant. I can't imagine what that might do to a human spirit. But for George Martirano, um, he rose above it, and he continues to rise above it, and he helps people on numerous levels, and no matter what happens, no matter what comes his way, he he just smiles and gets to work, and it's I've never seen a guy as driven and as focused and just moving forward, even though he's kind of all over the place, sometimes it's it's towards a goal, and he's working a bunch of different things at once to make it happen, but no matter where he is, no matter when you talk to him, you're going to get something positive from that experience, and I feel blessed that uh, George has graced our show for the last, coming up on a year now, I think. It's been a little while, and um, I always have something that's worthwhile that that can that can help take you through the week. So here we go, George Martirano. Welcome once again. At least uh, you're going to stay awake this time, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about last week. I had uh phone right on my chest. I was just laying there waiting to get uh, speaking. I fell asleep, <laughs> and I was wondering. As a matter of fact, I got Joe, and I says. Easy. What did you guys just hear me snoring? Yeah. <laughs> it's just that I, I started my days very early, and then uh, for me to speak tonight, it's got to be, uh, you know, about ten at night, and and like again, like I started. So I apologize, but I'm still here. But anyway, as uh, many know, many don't know, I'm opening up real soon the, the Hip Hop Cafe, first ever in Philly, and. Um, Matter of fact, uh, I finished this morning uh, designing the well. I have a 200-year-old well that I uh, I thought it would be important not to just cover up but uh, expose it. It was it was covered up for for many decades and just stood dormant. But I've been doing my my research and it's so it's so uh, strange how things have uh, you know uh, make a 360-degree turn and uh, with a lot of time and. 360-degree turn is that, you know, the well was was actually run by bootleggers uh, starting in 1920, and they actually ran it to, into the early 50s. But, you know, it wasn't just about uh, making uh, uh, booze uh, uh, for people's... Uh, it was, was booze for all the speakeasies, but uh, even after Prohibition uh, with, the, with the black community, the speakeasies, they had, to, had to some way to get their... Uh, the 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 whiskey. But anyway, my grandparents uh, used to actually utilize the, uh, the well. Uh, where they used to go there uh, and buy the the pints of, of of liquor and use it to make a lot of things to help uh, to help in illnesses. You know, if you had a cold, uh, they made the Italian people. They would take the the pure the pure alcohol and make a and make anisette and make. Uh, uh, Anazet is, is a liqueur, and these these were put in uh, in, in drinks where you were, when you were very ill, and uh, even when we were children we had colds. There was no doctors, but the grandparents they made these medicines for cough. If you had a cough or bad cold problem, and uh, they would make all these uh, and these little drinks, and they would administer even even to a, ch- a child. 
you know, to make you better. So anyway, fast forward. Now uh, I'm opening up a CBD shop, uh, and we're, we're helping others. That we're not even opening. There isn't a day that goes by that we don't get a bang on the door from someone ill. Matter of fact, I think someone called you today, Joe, a friend of mine. Uh, yes, I did get a call today. Yep, I will yeah, be I calling her back tomorrow. I got I got all tied up today, but I will call her yeah, back tomorrow. Very, yeah, she's very ill. She said, are coming to the store with this historical well, but now the store is offering CBDs to help the ill. So it's 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 a parallel. It's a strange, strange parallel, but it seems that that location helped people many, many years ago, and decades ago now. Fast forward to today, it's still helping people. So imagine that, that location is still going to be helping people. And uh, out of fact, we're having a plaque but I just said that we're going to call it the bootleg as well. But it was not to make, you know, everyone believes that, you know, of course they made money. They sold pints of alcohol uh, throughout the neighborhoods. But, again, you know, those small, those, the people that were poor took that alcohol and made, and made medicines. So that's what the shops are. I want to share that with everyone. That's a strange how I took uh, uh, a... A hole in the a hole in the floor, thirty feet deep, ladies and gentlemen. You'll be seeing it when I go live. It's just amazing how it's being used to attract people, but to help them with CBD, especially with, with illnesses. Want to share that with everybody? Well, I appreciate well, I that, have... George. Wait to see it in person. Right. The Hip Hamp Cafe is going to be coming yeah, live be from seeing the well. Yeah, we, we actually googled it. And uh, there's no there's no establishment in all of them all of America that has a well 200 year old privy well right on the location. So wow. again, I made, I made a little bit of my personal history again. I so love it. Well, you are yeah. here, my friend. All right, you'll be seeing it soon, Joe. You'll be, Joe. Joe's going to be coming east to spend some time with me. You'll be seeing it real soon. Yeah. All right, George. Well, George Martorano, folks, All right. he's about, uh, getting ready Thank to open up the Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be doing a show live from there before too long. Yeah. All right, we got Nikki up. Oh, I, sorry, I cut you off. Hold on. Let me bring you back. I feel bad here. Whoops. Hold on. All right, George. Sorry. I, ah, lost him. Okay. All right. Well, I screwed that one up. All right, we got Scott and Nikki. Now, Scott and Nikki are uh, – we're, we're over time now, so um, you're not going to be able to call in, but uh, we got Scott and Nikki and then uh, Tom Corby to wrap it up. So Scott and Nikki are um, running the newest chapter of the Human Solution International, and um, their chapter is called the Rock and Fire Chapter of Central California, and uh, they're just getting – uh, just getting started. They, we just got our uh, chapter charter certificates for them that are they'll be getting, and uh, we got a new banner that just got done. And in fact, it's going out in the mail tomorrow. Um, so uh, welcome to the show, you guys. It's exciting to have uh, our newest chapter uh, coming aboard. Thanks. We're really excited. We're really excited to be aboard. Hey, Joe. Hey, hey. 
So what's uh, what's going on up in Central Cali? You guys are away from the fires a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we're away from the fires. Thank God, but there's a lot of people, and so many people's lives are being destroyed by that. That's terrible. But we want we we work, we want to help with this this Craig Cecil man. We need to help this man. Yes, we do. We yes, need to we help do. Him. Yeah, we do. I mean, he really it really when I heard him talking and, and heard that he spent that he spent this, all this time in prison. I mean, it's just like it something just came over me like. Dude, what? I mean, I just—I almost can't comprehend that. Well, you know? and that's that moment that I keep talking about. And sometimes it takes the suffering of somebody else, and sometimes it takes your own suffering. But when we get yeah. that moment of, wait a minute, what the hell? How can somebody be locked up in prison for life for something that we all take for granted, whether it's legal or illegal? None of us thinks anything about using it, doing it, growing it, making oil with it, whatever it is that we're doing, nobody really thinks about it like, oh, my God, I might get locked up in prison for life. Nobody has that thought. And yet yeah. Cecil is living life in prison today. Yeah, that's, that's just I just can't get my head over that. That's just... <laughs> but we're here in Central California. We're, we're rocking fire. We're ready to... to Try to help you out with that A-team. Yeah, be on that A-team. Well, that's, that's what's going on. Build it one one step at a time. So we got uh, your banner just came in, so it's heading your way. And um, uh, we'll be putting together your chapter package with your, your charter. We just got the charter document in, and so you'll be getting a whole bunch of literature, and uh, we'll be ready to, to, to launch you officially. All right, Boom. all right. We're we're excited. And we want to talk to you about what we can do for this 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 guy who's been in prison for that long. Well, I'm thinking it's time that we make a we make another. We've done a number of of projects for Craig, and it's time to do another one. So let's get yep. to the important part. If somebody's in Central California, anywhere from Bakersfield up to Sacramento, how do they reach you if they want to participate? If they want to help out in the ending prohibition. Just give us a call at 559-356-0358 or uh, email adiamondcutie, a, a it's adiamondcutie at gmail.com, and um, just reach out, and we'll do what we can to, to help. Excellent. And we're, we're in the process of updating the website to include all of the new chapters and their contact information. So uh, in the near, near future, you'll be able to reach um, all of the chapters by going to thsintl.org and find a chapter, and there will be a way to connect that way as well. So, all right, you guys. Well, um, let's talk tomorrow personally, and um, I'm ready to make a plan. Let's 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 engage this let's thing. Do let's do it. Let's do it, Joe. We're on board with you. We're ready. We're, We're ready. ready. We're ready. We're, We're ready to fire up Central California. All right, let's do it. Do it. We're ready to go to jail. I hear you. All right, well, tomorrow we'll talk, and then um, we'll we'll begin to launch a plan. I can assure you that. Sounds okay. good. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. All right, folks, we're a few minutes long, and... Now we got Tom Corby to wrap up the show. Tom Corby is a lion of a man. He's coming out of a funk, and uh, 
I think hopefully he recognizes how important he is to this organization and how important it is that we all stand together and hold each other up, whether we're having good times or bad times. Um, we're not done till we're done, and when we're done, we'll celebrate. You'll know it. I will tell you. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. Uh, well, I thank you, Joe, Coffee Party Radio Show. All those on the front lines, they always coming together to end prohibition. Uh, I also want to thank all the support and love sent. Uh, I'm doing better with my back. It's healing. Uh, I think right now, with like many, I'm having more, more of a problem with depression, anxiety, with the fires up here in Northern California. And we're burning up. My heart saddened the other day the loss of Icon, Gordy, Gordy Dice. He's been a friend for years. When we talk about yeah, social support. That goes yes. out to Gordy. He was yes. a good man. He sure was. He had a kind soul. When we talk about court supporters and advocates, he came for many. He also was a legal strategist, won his own cases. He also helped other people with their cases. Like, Frank and Ann right here. Hey, Frank. And, I, and also. How's it going, Joe? Doing good, doing good. You're doing a good job. Well, yeah, him and, and then Nick Moran's here. How you doing, Joe? Hey, Nick, how's it going? And then, of course, they knew, they knew why? Because Gordy Dice was there for their Kate when they for their court support. Uh, I wish we had more like him. Uh, and, uh, we're going to miss him so much. Gordy Dice. Uh, he was 58 years old. Four. <laughs> uh, and uh, I can't say enough. I actually get, get some tears. Don't forget to breathe. I want to thank you all today. <laughs> and uh, like Frank says, I don't forget to breathe. R.I.P. Gordy. R.I.P. Gordy. Gordy. Yeah, for anybody who, who never met Gordy, uh, he was a he was a free thinking man. He was a he was a guy who stood up to the government. I, I met Gordy in in court. I think when we were either it was for Tom or for Daisy or one of the times I went up there. Um, but Gordy was a man who just uh, was fearless. He had no problem walking into the fire. He was always the man who would who would uh, be the first to help out. Um, just uh, uh, another lion of a man, and uh, to, to have a man really cut down so young, I mean, 58 years old, that's, jeez, uh, I can't even imagine uh, that's young these days. Better be young. I'm getting there myself. But the end of the day is Gordy, Gordy was a man that if we had more men like him, we would not have prohibition. So... Hopefully we can raise up three in his place, um, and that's what we need to do. So, all right, folks. And Joe, um, 
You're still, yeah. Joe, you still there? Still here. Uh, yeah, well, so the good news is that his 20-year-old daughter and his ex-wife got out, and they're safe. So oh, Gordy, good. Yeah, that would make Gordy very happy. That's the man was going to miss him so much. But thank you, Joe, and all today. All right, Tom. Well, thanks for calling in, and uh, it's good to have you back in uh, back in service here. And as you can see, we need you. So uh, we're uh, we need to raise up the next generation and get them get them taught and get them motivated. And um, that's the next that's the next step. It's it's on our shoulders. Um, we got a good place for them to stand, but we got to bring them over. So uh, appreciate everything, Tom, and uh, we'll talk during the week. All right, folks. Um, here we are, a few minutes late. Once again, um, a, a, a great show. I appreciate everybody who called in and participated. Um, I appreciate everybody who's been joining the live feeds, uh, YouTube, Facebook, um, every which way we can. We're getting this information to you. This is important work. We're not doing this because we're sponsored. Nobody's getting paid to do this. We're doing this because it's important. We're doing this because we're making history. We're doing this because um, it needs to be done. Lives are at stake. So come join the A-Team, be part of this, and we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my